Good morning, church. I'm wondering uh, if you've ever been in a place before where you have felt really, really uncomfortable. And you've known, as soon as you found yourself in that place, that you were no longer dependent on yourself, but you were woefully dependent on someone else. My cousin, I had an occasion to be with him yesterday. In fact, I was with him uh, and my cousin-in-law and Emmanuel and myself. We were at a little cafe in Quarryville, and probably the only time in the history of that cafe when uh, West Africa, Ghana, and East Africa, Tanzania, were represented together uh, in, the cafe, in that cafe. So it was really interesting, and we were talking about what the Lord had been doing um, through ministries in Africa and how he's working and moving over there right now. And my cousin was recounting a time that he had traveled to Africa to do some ministry uh, in the country. And it wasn't too long ago, actually, it was probably just a little bit over a year ago. And he was going with a young man, his name is Kiju. And Kiju's from Tanzania and a group of people from Grace Church up at Willow Valley were going to Tanzania to do some ministry. And Kiju had one kind of new reality for this group that was coming to Tanzania to do work. And that reality was this. They were going to be ministering to the Rangi people in Tanzania. And while they were there, they were actually going to be staying with and sleeping overnight with Rangi people. So they weren't going to be going to a hotel every evening and, and spending a nice night in a, in a big hotel in a big city. They were actually going to be sleeping out in the villages with the people. And so my cousin uh, went to his house the one night, the house that he was uh, asked to stay in. And it was a lady and her 12-year-old son. And when he walked in the house, there was music playing. And my cousin, he loves music. He's, he's into music. It was Swahili music. And he walked in and he said, Ma'am, I love this music. It's wonderful. And, you know, he started talking about how he loves music and is into music. And she took that to mean that he loved it so much that he wanted her to play it all the time, in, including at night while he was sleeping. And so that night he went into his room uh, and, and he was sharing a room with her 12-year-old son. And he heard the volume on the radio go all the way up just so he could hear it in the bedroom. And he was in the bedroom and he said somewhere around three in the morning, he heard her son say something in Swahili and get up and slam the radio off and go back to bed. And he said he was so thankful. But he realized right then and there, when you have these great language barriers, we realize this in Haiti as well, you know, I can fly into anywhere in the United States and figure out how to get my bags, uh, figure out how to rent a vehicle. But when you're in some place where the language is different and you're not sure how to communicate, you really realize how little you're dependent and able to be dependent on yourself. So he said he woke up the next morning after this event, and he actually woke up to the host lady of his house standing over him with a toothbrush, pushing it in his face. The problem was the toothbrush was very, very heavily used. See, it was, it was her guest toothbrush. <laughs> and, uh, and he's, no, no, you know, that's okay. I, I don't need it trying to communicate to her. And, and he said uh, a little bit later in the day, uh, he was still there. They hadn't gone to their work site yet. And he heard some shuffling around behind the house and all of this ruckus and, and stuff going on. And he said he quick got up and wanted to see what was happening and got to the back door. And he said he saw this lady scoop a chicken up by the neck and just 
chopped the, chopped the head off of it, and she reached out and picked it up and was holding it and pointing at it and smiling at him, like, you know? And I said, Adam, I said, what she was telling you is that if you don't brush your teeth, you're next. <laughs> so, but, you know, I just thought when, when we go to these places, and, and so often the Lord is using these, these uh, situations that we have in Thurwick. We had a driver in Haiti, his name was Frank, and praise the Lord for him. And we realized how dependent we were on him to get us from one place to the, to the other. And there's seemingly no traffic laws in Haiti. And the last day we were there, um, he showed up at the house. And of course, there had been all the riots and demonstrations. And we were wondering how we're going to get back to the airport. It wasn't going to be the way that we had gotten to the crash because there was roadblocks there. And he showed up and he gets out of the van and he has this blue shirt on. Now you have to imagine a Haitian man in his mid-50s with a blue shirt on that says, keep calm, I'm a Girl Scout. And it had the Girl Scout logo on it. And I, I thought, man, we're going to make it back. It's okay. We're gonna, I mean, Girl Scouts can get you anywhere. We'll get back to the airport. It's okay. But you know, the reality is in, in the Christian life, and, and I think it's a hard thing for our culture to understand and to grab hold of because we are kind of an independent, do-it-yourself culture. But the Christian life is a life of dependence. And as we live in community with one another, and, and as we are side by side every single day, you know, we have been called not to depend on our own strength, but to depend on Jesus. If we're doing it on our own strength, friends, we will fail miserably. And we've been studying the book of John. We've been in John chapter 6. We have two messages to go today and next Sunday in the book of John. And as we've been uh, in, the, in the chapter 6 of the book of John, and as we've been studying through the book, we're doing it in light of the reasons for why the book was written. And if you have your Bibles today, why don't you go ahead and turn to John chapter 6, verses 48 to 59. And as you turn there, let's take some time to review just a little bit. You remember, it's been a few weeks because we had missions conference, but John chapter 6, this chapter specifically, Jesus is teaching us that he is more than enough. He is completely sufficient. As we depend on him, as we rely on him, as we lean on him, we find him to be sufficient for everything in our lives. We're also seeing Jesus, uh, almost for the first time here in the book of John, he's leading his disciples and he's teaching them things by the way that he's leading them and the way that he is teaching them. And, and so as we outline the book here, you can kind of see where we're going. Today we're going to be in the second to last one here, cling to Jesus, and next week we're going to look at the result of this teaching, unfortunately, friends, many, many turned back. But you know, one of the things that's also a reality in John chapter 6 is there's a lot of division. And you remember, I, I've shared this with you before, that in the book of John, we see a lot of division. And specifically, look at all of this that we see just in John chapter 6. All of this division and these contrasts, food and drink, bread and water, body representing the flesh, blood, the physical, the spiritual. There's teaching, Jesus is teaching, and then the response to that teaching isn't necessarily positive and learning. There's grumbling and disputing. We have the Father, capital F, God, and, and he's contrasted to the fathers of the Israelites who were in the wilderness. We have people coming to Jesus at the beginning of chapter 6, and as we get to the end of chapter 6 and next week, people are leaving Jesus. We have life, we have death, we have heaven, we have earth. We have this contrast between 
uh, Jesus coming down from heaven and being able to raise up those who believe in him. Son of God, son of man, all these divisions and contrasts just in John chapter 6. And today, today, friends, we're going to specifically explore why we must cling to Jesus to truly be able to experience life in his name. Friends, we must depend wholly on Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, as we come to your word this morning, our prayer is that you will be honored, you will be glorified by our study together. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us. I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. Lord, I pray that your word would be something that we could feed on throughout the rest of the week. Lord, that it would encourage our hearts, it would challenge our minds, that we may leave here different, transformed, Lord, by how you work through our time here together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we're going to be in John chapter 6, verses 48 to 59. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. You know, uh, friends, the reality is Jesus was not here to entertain. He was not here to entertain. And I think about how marvelous and how wonderful it must have been to be walking with Jesus. In the early stages of his ministry, what the disciples must have experienced. I mean, imagine just for a second to put yourself in their shoes. Jesus being able to take something as simple as water and turn it into delicious satisfying wine to to be able to send his disciples out into the midst of a storm and while they were out on the water and the storm was raging to be able to go and to calm the waters how amazing would this have been to experience it to to witness it to be walking alongside of Jesus and seeing a man by a pool that was lame and needed healing and to see Jesus be able to walk over and to heal that man Casting out demons, feeding 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and some fish. I mean, these had to have been incredible, incredible things for the disciples and for the people to witness. And for many, many were entertained. And we talked about this before here. We know that there were many who were following Jesus for the wrong 
reasons, for the wrong motivations. Jesus was not an entertainer. He wasn't here simply to entertain people with his miracles. He had a real life-giving message. It was important. And, And friends, I really believe that John 6, there's a lot of repetition in this chapter. We have read some of these things about Jesus being the bread of life earlier. Jesus is using repetition here because this is an important teaching that we're to grab hold of. This is a turning point in Jesus's ministry. It's an important discourse. Jesus is separating. He's creating division between those who were following him solely to be entertained and those who were following him for who he truly was. And in our text today, this specific text, it's truly about real fellowship with Jesus. True fellowship with Jesus, friends, requires dependence on Him. If we're to have true fellowship, real fellowship with Jesus, we must depend on Him. Look in verse 49. Jesus is reminding His listeners who were Jewish that their continued dependence on the tradition of the fathers would only continue to lead to death. And and this is who many of them were largely depending on. The teachings of of those in the Old Testament of the fathers, lowercase f. And Jesus is saying your continued dependence on them will only continue to produce death. And friends, the lesson here for us is in our lives, dependence on men. When we're dependent wholly on men, women, uh, not on Jesus, that kind of dependence, friends, always leads to death and disappointment and perhaps a question some questions we might ask ourselves this morning by whose strength are we getting by in our day-to-day are we trying to depend on our own strength on our own efforts on our own energies as we sit here today you know friends that 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 eventually runs out and it fails when's the last time as we sit here today As you think about this, when's the last time that you've ever really needed, needed for anything? And yet we we should know that we need Jesus all the time in constant need of his grace and his mercy in our lives. Have we embraced our own deficiencies, shortcomings and weaknesses As a way that the world could see that Jesus sustains us. He upholds us. It's him that's doing the work in us. We rely on his provision. He says at the end of verse 51, If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Live forever. And as you think about that, reflect back on the context of the passage. We remember earlier, in a, a few weeks ago, when we were looking at the passage right before this, that the Father had given the Son a gift. Look back at verse 37 of John chapter 6. There was a gift that the Father had given the Son. In verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So as the Father gave those who he drew as a gift to the Son, so too did the Son have a gift for the life of the world. And that's what's revealed in this text. The Son has a gift, friends, for the life of the world. And it's a gift that's sustaining. It's a gift that we can rely on, that we can depend on, and that will keep us full for our entire lives. And he reveals it at the end of verse 51. Look down at verse 51. And the bread that I will give.
for the life of the world is my flesh. It's my flesh. Jesus was not on earth to entertain the masses. Jesus was on earth. He was on mission. He was here, friends, to do the will of his Father, to raise up those whom he had been given by sacrificing his own flesh, laying down his own life, shedding his very blood for the salvation of many. He came to glorify God by giving to us the gift of his own life. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh, right, and dwelt among us. Theologian and scholar Herman Ritterbos has this great quote uh, regarding the sacrifice of Jesus. He says, here we see, quote, here we see paradoxical unity of the highest authority with the deepest self-surrender, end quote. Isn't that beautiful? We, we just looked two weeks ago at the, at the Great Commission and Emmanuel looked at it again last week. And what did Jesus say? All authority. All authority on heaven and earth belonged to him. And now we contrast that with John chapter 6 where he talks about the gift that he has for the world was his flesh. And we know that the end of that was going to be his death on the cross. And we see this incredible paradox of highest authority and deepest self-surrender. Friends, there's a beautiful passage in our Bible that highlights this. Uh, keep your bulletin right in John chapter 6 and turn uh, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Go ahead, keep a bulletin in John 6 and turn to Philippians chapter 2. I don't know if we can see this more clearer than in this passage in Philippians. I mean, this is really incredible. Highest authority with deepest self-surrender. Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11. Look at what it says here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, highest authority, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now here's the self-surrender, friends. Verse 7. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, having flesh. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is a beautiful gift that Jesus gives us, friends. It's the gift of His flesh, His life for our life. And we have a wonderful opportunity to fellowship forever with the Father because of what Jesus did. And now He's just laid out this truth to the people who are standing around there listening to Him. And look at how this is received. He talks about this gift of laying down his flesh, of giving his flesh for the life of many. And look at how it's received. Look down, go back to John 6 and look down in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh 
to eat. You know, I, I find this a little bit amusing because the, the Pharisees, they, they, they wanted to take everything so literally, right, all the time. And, and this is a perfect case of it. I mean, literally, they're, they're, they're thinking that Jesus is calling them to cannibalism. And that's, we know as we sit here today, that's not what's going on here. That's not what Jesus is doing, yet that's how they, they take it. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And you know, I think that there's a significant observation here in the way that the religious leaders respond to Jesus in verse 52. You remember before in, in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus, how he approached him as a rabbi? Remember how Jesus had been called a, a great teacher in another part of, of, John, of the book of John? And remember in John chapter 6, they had talked, referred to him as a prophet. John chapter 5, I think it was. They called him a prophet. So they had all of these incredible titles for Jesus. But when Jesus starts teaching about his true identity, who he really is, where are those great titles? What do they say? How can this man, how can this man Give us his flesh to eat. You see, when he was doing miracles around them, and they were watching him and being entertained by all the great, wonderful things he was able to do, rabbi, good teacher, prophet, those were great terms. But when he begins to teach about his identity and who he is, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And when a, Friends, when a person offers and gives a gift of this magnitude our response should not be to dispute it to try to push it away but it should be thankfulness not indignation yet the religious leaders they remained indignant look down at verses 53 to 56 so jesus said to them truly truly he's going to take it even further now he's going to really double down in what he's teaching here. He has a chance to back off a little bit. Okay, maybe you took me too seriously. Maybe I could back off, but that's not what he's going to do. Watch what he does here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He doubles down. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus isn't going to back down from their misunderstanding and from their indignation of this gift that he's offering them. And friends, there are, there are so many times in, in the Christian walk, and I'm sure you can relate to this, when we read something or we see something that we don't fully grasp or understand. You know, sometimes when we're studying the Bible, it can take years and years and years of the Spirit working in our lives to help us to fully understand and grasp what Jesus is trying to teach us. And, and I think, friends, that this is happening. These, these religious leaders here, they're depending on their own understanding, being literal, leaning on their own understanding, and it's fostering this fear and anxiety and confusion about who Jesus is. And Jesus is teaching them. And friends, he's teaching us, will they receive it? Will we receive it? And it's no longer here in this context about the bread and the water, but now Jesus is speaking clearly of his flesh and his blood. And, and I want you to think, when a, when a Hebrew person, when a Jewish person, 
heard that word flesh and blood, what do you think it invoked for them in their mind? Flesh and blood. Think about that for a second. What would that have invoked in a, in a Jewish listener's mind? What would they have thought of? What would have been represented by what they heard? Sacrifice, right? What did the blood represent to the Jews? Sacrifice. Right? Turn, your, turn your Bibles, keep your bulletin here, and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Genesis, Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. There's something specific that would have rung through the minds, that should have rung through the minds of the Jewish listeners as they heard Jesus talking about giving up his flesh and giving up his blood for them. Exodus chapter 12. This is an incredibly powerful portion of Scripture. It's the foundation of the Passover feast. Exodus 12, verses 1 to 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the lamb is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Friends, when a Hebrew listener, when a Jewish listener heard about the flesh, heard about the blood of Jesus, their mind should have been taken back to the sacrifices. And specifically in this instance, the sacrifice of a lamb. Look at verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now look at the relationship between this passage and where we're at in John 6. Look at all the eating of the flesh and the blood here. We see it over and over again. Verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its leg and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand, ready, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I shall execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14 then. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Friends, the, the flesh of the Passover lamb could only sustain for that day. 
It was only to last for that one day, the flesh of the Passover lamb, and they had to eat all of it, and whatever they didn't eat, they were to burn the rest. Eventually, the flesh would be eaten and gone, and guess what would happen after they ate? They would get hungry again. The next day would come, and they would hunger. The blood of the Passover lamb was only able to atone for sins for a time. It didn't cover for all of eternity. This was for this time. Eventually there would be more sin in the community that would need to be atoned for. And here we are, friends, in John chapter 6. We've we've seen Jesus leading his people as a greater Moses in a different kind of wilderness. And we know as we sit here today, Jesus was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect lamb without blemish. And his sacrifice, the flesh that he would give, the gift that he has for you and for me as we sit here today, it would be a once and for all gift for all eternity. His flesh and his blood are able to hold us, sustain us, and save us forever. Go back to John chapter 6 and and look down at verse 54. John chapter 6. Look down again at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now it's important that we understand something about that verb feeds right there. This is not a one-time thing, friends. And if you need to mark that in your Bible, you can mark that in your Bible if you take notes. This is a continual feeding. It's not a one-time thing. This is ongoing. Feeding and drinking is ongoing. And what does it result in? It results in eternal life. And perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, John is talking about eternal life. 35 times, friends, in the book of John, he mentions eternal life. And as a result of this continual, ongoing feeding on the flesh and blood of Christ, we should be driven to a dependence on Jesus. A dependence on Jesus. And look at what happens at the end of verse 54 if if we do this, as we're doing this, depending on him, abiding in him, I will raise him up on the last day. So perhaps, friends, as we sit here today, perhaps the question that we ask ourselves is, how do we know, how do I know that I'm depending on Jesus? How do I know as I sit here today that I'm truly depending on him and not my own strength? To get me through each day. How do we know that our efforts, our attitudes, our behaviors, our actions aren't depending on us, but are truly reliant on Him? And the answer is in our text. It's right in our text. Look at verse 56. It's beautiful. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. This is continual, not a one-time thing, friends. It's ongoing, abiding in Jesus. It's a constant action. When we can't muster up the joy to make it through a day, perhaps we're not abiding in Jesus. Perhaps we're we're relying on our own fountain of joy, which will eventually run out. But Jesus can give us joy that's continual, that can get us through any difficult day that we might face. When we're not grateful and we're living in constant negativity and criticism, perhaps we're not living, abiding in Jesus because Jesus gives us great hope and great reason to be thankful. 
when fear paralyzes us and we refuse to walk towards what God is calling us to, perhaps we're not abiding in Jesus because Jesus, He can make us bold and He gives us the strength and the power to walk where He is leading and He is calling us to. When our anger conquers us and our emotions get the best of us, and friends, you know, this, this happens so quickly and so suddenly sometimes. But when that happens, perhaps we're not abiding in Jesus. When our boldness wavers and we stumble over sharing Jesus at work or in our lives or with friends and co-workers, perhaps we're not abiding in Jesus. And somebody said to me one time, this is so intimidating. How am I to share my faith at work with the people I work with every day that don't believe in Jesus? What am I supposed to just walk up to them and say, you have to believe in Jesus? Well, you, you could take that approach. That's one approach to take, absolutely. Or you could just be thankful. And when people respond and they say, how, what would you do in this situation, in that setting, you can point them towards how Jesus has worked in your life in a similar situation or setting, saying, I'm so, I'm so thankful that Jesus walked me through this difficult season of my life. I, I can tell you as I stand here today, I couldn't do it on my own strength. But because I was abiding in Him, He carried me through it. And you know, that kind of hopefulness, that kind of strength is available to you as well in Jesus' name. And there's all kinds of ways that we can work Jesus in the conversations in our daily life, just by being thankful for what he's doing and how he's working in our lives. When our lives are lacking in prayer and we're busy and we're impatient and we don't have enough time in the day for Jesus, perhaps we're not abiding in him. When we face doubts and our insecurities are guiding and motivating our behaviors, perhaps we're not abiding in Jesus. Friends, Jesus in this text, he's calling us to continually, ongoing feast on him. And if we're feasting on Jesus, we're depending on him to fill us, sustain us, motivate us, guide us. And when he is doing this, we are abiding in him. And you know, it occurs to me that there's a few avenues that Jesus has given us to practice this. Uh, as we sit here today, one of them, friends, is marriage, right? What is the, one of the great commands that we're given in our marriage? A man is to leave his father and mother and what? Cling, cleave. Sounds like dependence to me, doesn't it? And so in the context of marriage, we have this wonderful opportunity to learn how to depend on Jesus as we learn how to depend on one another, and as our ability to depend on Jesus grows, so too our ability to depend on one another and vice versa. As we learn to depend on one another in a godly way, so too our dependence on Christ grows. But you know, as we sit here today, not all of us will have that avenue of marriage to work this out through. So there's another avenue that Jesus gives that. And that, friends, is the church. It's the church. It's us. It's the body, friends. As we sit here today, what a wonderful avenue to practice dependence. And you know, men, i got to be honest, men, because I stand up here being a man. I'm not very good at this dependence thing. And we live in a county, in a community, Chester County, Lancaster County. We can do it. We can do it, you know. And in fact, sometimes it's silly how prideful I am that I will try to figure out how I can do something without asking anybody for help. No matter how 
crazily inefficient it is in my life. I'm going to do it without asking anybody else for help. Because that's sometimes just the way we are. But friends, that's not what Jesus has called us to be. We need each other. We need one another. The body's dependent on all of the parts functioning together. And as you sit here today, church, every single one of you here has a part to play in this. Every single person, a gift, a way that they can build into the body of Christ. We fear dependence because when we're dependent, our weaknesses are exposed. And you know what, friends? That is a good thing. That's a good thing. Because His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And when we're weak in front of one another, Jesus gets the glory for what He does through us. How about Tara Kelly's testimony last week? How powerful. A perfect picture of this. She holds up the strand and she says, you know, I am totally ineffective and and feel like I'm totally uncalled to speak in front of large groups of people, yet Jesus keeps calling me to do it. Talk about a work of the Lord every time she stands up in front of people. She knows in her heart of hearts, and now church today, we know and should be encouraged in our heart of hearts that it's Jesus that's doing the work through her. It's amazing. It's encouraging. It's a testimony of what Jesus can do in our weaknesses as we acknowledge them, depending on one another, depending on the Lord. Church, I'm weak. I've shared this with you before, but I'm, I'm just one person. And, and, and I, I'm 100% honest to tell you, I can't do this on my own. I acknowledge it almost every single morning in my office. If you could look in my journal over and over and over again, it's probably terrible because it says, Jesus, I can't do this. I'm ineffective. I'm unable, you must accomplish whatever your plans are, you must accomplish them through me here in this place. I need your help. Men to men, women to women, life on life with each other, honoring God as we grow in our love for each other, investing in each other, building one another up, truly depending on each other. And will it hurt sometimes? Yeah, it hurts being part of a family sometimes. Right? Sometimes families argue. Sometimes they bicker. Sometimes they fight. And sometimes they disagree. I live in a family. You live in a family. And church, this is a family. We will have that. We'll have days of that. That's part of it. But we're to depend on Jesus. And as we depend on Jesus, He grows us in our ability to love Him. And He grows us in our ability to love one another. We cannot abide in our own way of doing things. Jesus calls us to abide in him he is the author and sustainer of our lives and clinging to jesus leads to real life look down at verses 57 to 59 as the living father sent me and i live because of the father so whoever feeds on me he will also live because of me this is the bread that came down from heaven Not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Friends, as the Father lives, so too does the Son live. And whoever abides in Jesus continually depending and feeding on him will live also because of Jesus. 
And again, the goal of Jesus' teaching here, friends, is directly in line with the goal of John, so that we may have life. Life. You know, I've said this before, but I think John chapter 6 is a perfect example of how excellent of a teacher that Jesus was. Whenever we're trying to communicate something to individuals and teach them, those of you that are teachers, that have educated at any level before, children, adults, you know that one of the most effective tools in education is repetition, right? It's why we sing so we can remember things when we learn, like when, I, when you learn your ABCs, you sing a song. It's so funny. You know, when you're little, you sing the A, B, C, D, E, F, G. When you go to college and they start to teach you Greek and Hebrew, guess what? You learn a song, you learn a song to learn those alphabets. It's a, to, to a little different tune. I think one's to ten little Indians. Uh, the, the Greek one's to ten little Indians. I can't remember what the Hebrew one's to. But these things help us remember. And Jesus in his text is using repetition because he's a great teacher. The greatest teacher ever to live. And I think it's incredible here if you look at what he does in our text. He takes the opening line and the closing line and they're linked together. Isn't it beautiful? Look at the opening Line of the text again in verse 48, your father, verse 49, sorry. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Now go all the way down to the end of verse 58. Whoever feeds on this bread, what bread? The bread that Jesus is offering will live forever. Will live forever. So friends, as we look at this text today and begin to ask how should our lives Look, in light of these realities, whose bread, whose bread are we being sustained by as we sit here today? Is it our own? Are, are we trying to do this on our own strength, on our own power? Friends, if we're, we're going to fail if we're doing it that way. We're going to mess up. And you know what? Even when we're doing it through, through Jesus' strength and Jesus' power, we're still weak. And there are days that we're going to make mistakes, but hopefully he receives glory because we're abiding in him through our behavior and our actions. Church, are we depending on one another? I want you to think about it. You know, are we truly depending on one another? I was with one of our, one of our sisters who's, who's at a, um, she's in a home, and I was talking to her, and she was sharing with me about her husband who needed to go to the doctor's office. And I said, well, let us help you with that, because she wasn't able to take him. She said, oh, I don't want to trouble anybody. I don't want to be a burden. And I thought, how, how real is that? But not just there, across our entire congregation and our community. But yet this is what Jesus has called us to, as a church, to be there for one another, holding one another up, bearing one another's burdens. Friends, is Jesus sustaining us? Is he carrying us? And if we sit here today and we can answer in the affirmative to these questions, then we should be thankful. Because next week, friends, next week, we're going to see that many heard this teaching. And guess what they did? They left. They walked away. Not able to fully be dependent on Jesus and who he was. And so if you sit here today as a follower of Christ, as a true disciple of Jesus, you should be thankful that Jesus has revealed himself to you in this way. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter your word and close it this morning, we see you as the bread of life. The true bread come down from heaven. And Lord, I pray that you would sustain us every step of our lives. Wherever you take us, Lord, and our jobs, 
in our families, at our homes, in our communities, Lord, that we would be sustained and guided by you, that we would cling to you, that, that the people who you've brought into our lives would know as they interact with us that we do not live on our own strength and our own power, but Lord, we live as you are working in us, as we cling to you and express our great need for you every day. Lord, I pray that the hope that you produce in us, the thankfulness that you produce in us, the gratitude, Lord, the love and the joy that you produce in us would be so evident to the outside world, Father, that our lives might be a testimony to your grace, to your power, and to your mercy, and your goodness. Lord, there's so many philosophies out there that are deceptive, that have taken so many captive. Jesus, you have shown us a better way. A better way. And Lord, as we strive to live in a way that honors you, to live by that way, my prayer is that you would use it to be a light to those that need to know a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us let our lives shine for you as we cling and depend on you every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray.